Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Nose Podcast, a platform for me to nose into other people's business. On this podcast, I strive to share with you stories from a range of different people over various different topics. So before my nose starts twitching any further, let's get down to business. Hello and welcome to the Big Nose Podcast. This week on the show, I am delighted to be joined by Shawnee B. You may know him from Cut and Sew. You may know him from attending festivals. Brilliant entrepreneur. Johnny, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks, Piers. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is an exciting evening for me. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's February. Thank God, January's behind us. Hopefully, brighter days are ahead of us. One of the things about this podcast, it's a platform to get to know people and get to know their story and their what they've done and where they are in themselves in life. But how did they get there? And that's always something that I'm always interested in. Um, so maybe going back to yourself, a younger Sean, a younger Shawnee B. What type of influence were you growing up at home in school? I would like to think I was the cool kid, but in, in actual fact, I was. I was the. I was very in the middle in school. I got on with the kind of the rockers and the outcasts, you know, that were into what I thought was like heavy metal and death metal, but it was actually Metallica, which I quite like now. Yeah. So they're probably the cooler kids and the football-y jock types who are all not my type of people at the minute. So I was in the middle, a bit of a joker, didn't like uh, authority for male figures, if I remember correctly, when um, my principal said I should probably pursue uh, LCA to keep me back a year, you know, um, to do transition years, maybe mature. So I was a little bit immature and a bit jokey. I wasn't a bad kid, really. I mean, I got into a little bit of mischief, but nothing too bad, you know. And did you enjoy school? Was it a place that you enjoyed going to? Did you enjoy getting to see your mates? Or was it a case of you'd rather be out doing your own thing? Initially, in school, I did enjoy it. I kind of liked it or thought of it more like... It was kind of quite social to me. I think you learned a lot. All I learned really in school was social skills. And, you know, it was a mixed school. And I moved around a lot as a kid. I lived in England for a few years and moved back. And I was in an Irish school. And then I went... I, moved back to English and I had a bit of an exciting childhood in the sense of you know I got to I got to see London I remember distinctly being in London for when Princess Diana died so yeah. I was t- of age in 97 and it was just the maddest like cultural difference you know there was there wasn't many different uh, ethnicities in Dublin if anywhere I grew up in uh, Blackrock and Dunleary so I was introduced to a lot of different cultures in London and I don't know it gave me a, a kind of I think it opened me up to maybe love traveling, which is what I do with different cultures. Yeah. So I went to school and it was just this real one narrow track of like education and you go home and you do work and at the weekends you can play sports and go back to school. And I just, I didn't like it after getting a taste of London and Dublin is a very small place when you moved to London, you know. But yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't particularly love school, but I didn't hate it either, Pierce. So how did you go then? Where did the interest in the art of barbering you know dealing with people's hair how did how did that come about from that was it something that he had seen maybe in london or was it in the family or, or how did you get exposed to that, that art the dream initially was to play for man united no oh, i like us all <laughs> in my head i thought i had trials for chelsea my man was like if you say if you say something enough you'll believe it and i literally 
actually, in fact, only today when I um, was on the phone to him, I was, did I actually have trials chest? Like, son, if I had a thought you were going to be a Premier League footballer, I would have done anything to get you there. The reality was, no, I wasn't scouted. And what got me to cutting hair was, I, I went to school and I went to third year. And that's when a little bit of a little bit of trouble happened. I was kind of, I didn't like... I had a lot of male teachers and um, my mum and dad are separate, both r- brilliant parents, but, um, you know, I grew up with weekends with my dad, Monday to Friday with yeah, my mum. Yeah, So I think my dad was always real nice to me and I didn't really have an, an authoritative male figure in my life. So when my teachers were like, where's your homework or Sean, do this or do that, all of the guys I acted up to and I was like, I want to maybe do an apprenticeship as a carpenter because the football dream was over didn't want to become a hairdresser or do or barber but mm. I had an uncle or a cousin who was a carpenter and he was kind of cool and you know he had a nice car and I thought he was kind of cool guy so initially I went to to get an apprenticeship but my mum said I can leave school at 16 because I, I was going down the wrong yeah, path yeah some ways and academically it wasn't for me I didn't want to go to co- college what I wanted to do didn't need third level education so I got an apprenticeship as a carpenter for two years and lo and behold um, he didn't register me so I was you know technically slave labour yeah. <laughs> that's a bit of a mad term but uh, I, or I was cheap labour that wasn't registered and then recession hit so you know it was kind of post Celtic Tigery and construction was really bad so my mum was like well what are you going to do now you know I was about 18, 19 at the time and I had a friend who was a hairdresser an apprentice hairdresser in a salon called Tony and Guy. I had gone there once or twice because I'm a bit particular with my hair and I love the experience. High end, head massage, GQ and Esquire magazines, good looking ladies, cool tunes on and I never thought I'd be into it, but I loved going and it was like twenty nine was it euros or pounds and whatever it was expensive because yeah. I was just regular barbers. And based on, I think, me going in, they're like, Sean, he's a good lad. What are you doing? You're not a carpenter anymore. I like, no, I lost my job. They offered me a job. And it was a weird time. I was like, how can I go from being on a filthy building site to like a high-end hair salon? And that was my introduction to hairdressing. I did a hairdressing apprenticeship first for four years, which was the leading brand in Ireland at the time, Tony and Guy, one of the leading brands. And that was the intro to it, you know? And how did you find that whole experience of going from okay you left school you went and did the apprenticeship you kind of maybe at that stage thought this is what i'm going to do i'm going to be you know working building sites you know doing carpentry and then all of a sudden going kind of back into learning again the learning experience kind of in a more structured setup i imagine with you know what you have to learn through tony and guy and their standards so i i think this this is where life comes in and like i didn't dream of cutting hair i didn't dream of doing granny blow dries and like uh, blue rinses and what I learned in Tony and Guy was people skills and I enjoyed making people feel good and it's again from my school days all the social skills I learned from in the salon was in Black Rock so it was quite high end I mean actually I had Baz from Baz Ashwami uh, I remember I shampooed his hair I was like oh that's the guy from the telly and yeah. Dave Fanning. I was like that's Dave Fanning 2FM and John Power who's a DJ and I was like this is cool Rosanna Davidson so I thought it was very well it was very cool and I remember I was able to mingle with these even if I was just shampooing their hair or blow or getting them tea or coffee and I loved the kind of social aspect because 
you know at about 18, 19 you're going out four nights a week anyway (laughs) (laughs) but I was it was so buzzy and I was like you know the music was on and it was it was such an amazing time because apparently hair and makeup is quite recession proof I do believe that it is because the price of a haircut women are meant to wear makeup nowadays they kind of a lot of people have to leave the house looking and feeling good no matter how doomy and gloom it is so I kind of felt safe in that and I was like I went through the motions I was like what's the end goal here I didn't think I'm going to have a salon or whatever and then I started to gain more male clientele and I have five younger brothers so they had uh, a couple of years of getting bad haircuts I was going to say yeah, there's uh, (laughs) plenty of options there in terms of testing your trade yeah and I mean so I went through the motions left there going out with various girls over the years and I think they didn't really like that I was a male hairdresser because you're surrounded with good looking women you're a bit of the you, well I think I've a bit of the swag you know the chin <laughs> how are you Mary uh, how's John at home and the, the weekend yeah. all that and I then was like it's time to move you know when I don't know I got to a certain age but what do I do so I moved on to a salon that I was considered more senior than I was you know spread the wings yeah and then I just kind of had a lot of guys because the only salon or the only barbershop that I knew of that was cool was a place called the Waldorf, which was world renowned on Westmoreland Street downstairs. Yeah. This is around the time I think of Mad Men had been on and a lot of 1940s and 50s post World War Two and World War Two things. So that that kind of sleek side part and skin fades, dapper haircuts were in, and I didn't know anywhere else to go. Yeah going there and I was like this is really cool it was 30, 30 euro at the time or 32 and I was like it's the most expensive haircut I've had but it was deadly and you're very cool Joe Burger-esque people I like to think the hipsters yeah. it's mental how many creators have come from working in all of the Joe Burgers but I then kind of was hanging around with these guys and they were like you should rent a space do you know anyone in town then I knew a guy that had a record shop and then I was like is this a random question but would I be able to do a pop-up shop on Saturdays you know I'm working in a hair salon Monday to Friday but I'd like to give it a go yeah. lo and behold then cut and sew before it was cut and sew was me just doing mixers in a city centre space or a basement for a record shop and then that was the beginning of it you know I got a taste of kind of having a space and being part of town so kind of the, the entrepreneur in you had decided to come out and blossom and it was really it was something that you know you enjoyed then okay you're your own boss at that stage how did you transfer that into something that went on to be cutting so how did you know that okay this is for me i want to be my own boss you know it's one thing turning you know cutting people's hair and a job into a profession and a business when did you realize that was something that you 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 knew you could do I didn't solely give up the hairdressing. I actually, when I think back of, of how hard I had to work, so I was actually, I DJed part-time a lot of the time. Yeah. Five days a week. I DJed in Joe Burgers twice a week on a Thursday and a Saturday for 70 euro cash each each evening. And then on the Saturday night, I'd usually go out and you'd have a bit a bit of a wild one. And then I was back at work Monday to Friday. And then Saturday was my pop shop. So I worked like a maniac at yeah. the time. I was about 26, which we all know. Um, well, now that I'm 34, I feel like uh, years ago. But not only do I not go out anymore, regardless of COVID, <laughs> buy a point on a Sunday is as mad as it gets. So I got a taste for this kind of, oh, you have a business. And a lovely lady, Rosemary McCabe, who used to write for the Irish Times, 
and she was an editor for Creative Head magazine. All of these couple of people I met through hairdressing were like, where's Shawnee gone? He was a legend. Oh, he's doing his own thing. And I got one or two tiny bits of mentions and bits of press. Yeah. And then the Saturday was up and down for a few months, but the Saturday got so busy in advance that the guys were actually in the records of like, man, there was uh, a lot of people here during the week looking for cuts. I think you could pursue this full time. Yeah. And that the transition of, I'm going to leave the hairdressing, but I still did some ladies haircuts and then I went in and I, I literally posted it today on Instagram a picture of the initial setup I robbed mirror from my mum's hallway and a, and a, a spare kitchen chair <laughs> put that into the basement of the record shop in Temple Bar and painted the area and you know jazzed it up with like two or three magazines and it was so basic and primal but it looked in back then people thought it was very Berlin-esque <laughs> I've never because it was all like old boxes of records, it was turntables. The guys from the record shop would leave their bikes there. The tunes are pumping upstairs. So in actual fact, it was quite hip and trendy. And then, then I had to obviously I was like, okay, well, I need to officially register my business because we all have to pay tax. So the first six months were a bit, a bit all over the shop. Like, is this gonna work? What days do I work? No social media, word of mouth, uh, phone number, Facebook, and then. Then I kind of think Instagram, I start, I'd love to know in my own head how I found out about Instagram because yeah. we were, if not one of the first, the first to do it because Waldorf never did it for years. The only other shops then I think that were around, which are quite cool shops, was Bedford Stoy, The Merchant and Sam's Barbers. But yeah. they were old school. So when we opened up, we got a lot of grief because we were taking pictures and doing social media and I it's it's a bit weird I got a lot of hate and negativity from all of the owners of the above and that kind of fueled me to go bananas <laughs> videos it's so funny we've kind of plateaued as such now because it's the done thing everyone has an Instagram yeah got like thousands of followers I think like 11,000 Facebook people like in like six months and then a couple of thousand on Instagram and the haircuts peers were not up to scratch now so I still have all the old pictures if you scroll down Yeah. but people were like oh wow he's asking me can I take a picture of my haircut nobody did that ever for me so I just seen that and then it's very powerful when you are when you're doing the haircut somebody gives you the money and you pay yourself away so there was there was no going back when I got that feeling and even if it was 400 quid a week and then you pay your bit of tax and your little bit of rent I was just like buzzing. I remember like, you know, floating around town. Oh, and then Cut and Sew obviously was the name that stuck with me. And uh, I don't know, it just really buzzed. I wasn't an entrepreneur then, and I even don't really like saying it too much. Yeah. Even do open or have a few businesses. It's more of a, I don't know, it was just the not working for somebody is so self rewarding. And I, I like to motivate myself. Yeah. You know, it comes back to the school of, not liking someone telling, telling you what to do yeah so and it's a case of owning owning everything that happens when you started off it's organic it's new you're learning as you're going you know you're putting in the long weeks the long days the long hours you know as you said you were working monday to friday you're doing your djing then you're doing doing it on your own a few niches but then it's grand doing it on your own and doing a few niches then generating it into a business i'm sure there's a load of learning curves you came across you know it's one thing being the only barber in the shop, but then you have to look at recruiting 
and going down that line and getting the right people in and, and trying to generate business and, and word of mouth like it must be a minefield for someone on their own and quite daunting at times yeah i mean it's to the point of now with a coming up to a year of covid and being and being shut it's again what can you do to survive and what are you going to do and i have down days like everybody else a friend of mine, Jamie White, is an actual entrepreneur, and he set up um, a couple of speaking events in Dublin. He and myself went up for a walk last year around March. I'm like, this is crazy. What are we doing? He was running, um, you know, huge events. He got Jordan Belfort over to what's the name in the RDS, and he does the Start Summit and yeah. low events fresh resolutions as well. He spoke to me like, Shawnee, you're a legend. Like you like our Mr. Barber shop in Dublin like why don't you do business consulting I goes what I was like that I'd be laughed so yeah. I said I had a chat with him he charges what I think is a very good rate business coaching but as a friend he gave me free advice so he's never paying for a haircut again <laughs> which is probably worth way more than what he, <laughs> he was like do online coaching or consulting and I was like you know what do I got to lose so I've set up online coaching now and it's um given me a different platform to work from you know but it's um it's great to see that you adapted to changing environment which you obviously learned from setting up your own store and obviously going from one then to two three you know and then onwards and then obviously you've opened up or you're in the process of opening up a new one and in, in the south of dublin so it, it's something that you obviously enjoy doing as well the good thing for me is when i went into this i kind of I didn't have anything to lose, like, apart from my mum's kitchen chair and mirror. Of course. So the risk wasn't there, and I worked super hard, and the success, literally within, you know, a year, we actually, we moved, we up, we went up and down, it went from one chairs in, uh, in the record shop to six, like, it, it, was, or it went crazy in a year, and it was so busy because no one did online bookings apart from us and then I think Sam's or the Butcher Barbers yeah. Butcher Barbers sorry deserves a name drop because Emmis had a really cool shop in between I think it was Clarendon Street and Grafton Street that lane that lane way yeah the lane way and I was like whoa this is cool and he's a cool lad you know he got a couple of like Jamie Heaslip and the rugby lads in and I don't know your TV presenters I don't think he did online bookings it was all phone call notepad and pen so we were if I'm correct in this we were one of the first to do the online bookings in a barber's we were turning away the same amount of people that were coming in so I was like let's do another shop which is the now Wellington Keys shop which is the biggest one we have again it's a trip down memory lane I was like, the rent wasn't expensive in the basement unit but then to go to the main you know one of the I suppose our main shop now, our HQ on Wellington Key, the rent is astronomical and, and rates are crazy. But I knew by doing obviously how well the business was and learning as I went, it would do well. You know, yeah. it was oh, tunnel. It was I was at my sharpest then, and then that turned in that snowball. That got really busy, and then a couple more people started to open up and do well, and then people started to leave you. And I found out all that what comes with having clients coming and going and your own staff being competitors but I think the attitude we have is I do want the best for everybody and I would want them to go on and open their own shops but it's um, yeah I don't know it's now led to three shops then I tried another shop which was called Blind Eye with a business partner which didn't work and you learn you know you, you, I always I learn more than I lose in every situation and it's kind of like I have the John having a book there win or learn 
and whatever it's you it is just you, my what would you call it my cv in business is the mistakes i've made yeah but i've learned so much from them that now as a business coach in my industry i have a lot of value to offer to people that want to avoid making them it's coming back and i think it's helping me and it's i'm no tony robbins now don't get me <laughs> but i think as you said earlier like life experience you know you can't really teach that you know as you get older and you do make the mistakes as you go down in business or in life you do kind of understand that you know if you keep making the same mistakes you'll never improve but if you learn and take away from what you have made in, in terms of mistakes or misjudgments or just you know bad luck you, you can take it on into into the new business a, a thing about cut and sew and one thing that i when i came across cut and sew and and you know the brand and you know how did you go about marketing marketing it because it's quite well known now within Dublin, the brand. How do you generate the awareness through the marketing? I'm self-taught in everything in business and in, well, environment, I'm technically self-taught. Yeah. You know, YouTube and the five younger brothers. And <laughs> not only years later, upskilling and spend a lot of money on education. I don't know really how. I think it's quite honest. So it, because it's me and it's um, it was kind of, what's the word, publicized? No. I, I did a lot on social media so people could see the progress and they're like, oh, there's Sean who literally had one chair in the basement of a shop. It was a bit of a, excuse me, shithole maybe or it wasn't the nicest space. And they were like, this is grubby and grungy. There wasn't even a wash basin. You had, you had to come in with your hair like washed or <laughs> you had, unfortunately, we were going to spray it down and just get on with it. Yeah. Not proud of it, but... um. But the, the growth, then they seen like, oh, there's a wash basin now and shampoo and, oh, you have your own products and, oh, my God, you've got a beautiful shop, which is on Wellington Quay, which doesn't get much more central than looking over the Liffey. Of course. A lot of my friends, again, with who I kind of grew up with, because I did a bit of graffiti and then the kind of crackbird crew who I knew, a lot of them are NCAD students and they were doing design and we would kind of trade haircuts for someone to do a business card for me or a logo and handy and yeah very handy and then i remember we got t-shirts made and i got t-shirts made because i seen a guy in america who i watched on youtube and i was like that looks cool it was like something barbershop so i was like my friend josh gordon who's a well-known photographer videographer artist now he had a brand called fucking filthy and he made his own t-shirts and this was like 10 years I was like how do you even do that and I don't know anything about design or you know I didn't really understand Instagram as much anymore and he was just really ahead of his time and very good on the computer and social media and interaction yeah friends I would take a little bit from him he was like I'll get a guy to do this design for you he charges 50 quid send the money on PayPal here's a t-shirt company so some of my creative friends helped me I was like whoa and then the t-shirts were a huge thing back then we were we were printing 10 times more than we do now because people it wasn't called mick's barbershop yeah and god love whoever mick is because i always reference <laughs> mick gets the name call, call out every time yeah <laughs> i'm mick i just probably some lad and i don't know in balanagh going <laughs> there's nothing wrong with mick's barbershop but but the, the branding and the names and the logos they were so powerful because you know again you only really nobody even though the Grafton Barbers I take my hat off is the most known in Ireland in yeah. every because it's you know it's a big franchise 
it's just it wouldn't be on the cool level but it's a mental successful business and it's 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 admirable I give my hats off to the lads they've done an amazing I think it's Huey and Connor but I think we were like the first ones to do it as a brand like it was like oh you can wear cut and sew it doesn't say Shawnee B or Sean's and it didn't say anything about barbershop so maybe without me knowing it 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 was creating a brand and that's the one thing people ask me on the coaching sessions how how do you create a brand and it was just the name cut we were doing t-shirts or we were meant to do t-shirts with a friend he was going to sew them and make them there he pulled out so the cut and sew name started organically and then it just I think had a ring to it and then I don't know yeah it was just yeah it was simple as well like it's you know sometimes the simplest things are the easiest things to remember you know it rolls off the tongue it's it's you know it's and as you said it wasn't just about the barbering it was just cut and sew and that was it and it was easy message to kind of portray against you know people would say if you need them t-shirts and I don't know it was a bit of a movement in in the sense and only when I think about it a couple of people were catching on and then we went to shop three and we were approached from a company to do a documentary they're like man this, this is very exciting yeah. like a year half ago you were in the basement with no employees and you've got eight guys now two shops and you're in looking at shop three which was blind eye in George's arcade and then we we were very fortunate enough to be flown to a beat it by a beat the rocks hotel a friend of mine had seen on Instagram said man we gotta get you here yeah uh, the guys in collective were like we'll document this and, you know there wasn't many haircuts happening over the beat I can't imagine so no I think you know it's a it was a it was a, a break away from the norm I suppose is what you call it relaxing and recouping isn't that what they call it and yeah. um, going over there and you know we all know what Beat the Rocks is about. It's about the music. It's about the party. And I suppose it would be remiss of us to not mention the importance of music in your life. Like, what is music to you? I only watched the Club and His Culture documentary. And music to me, I mean, I don't... I actually wouldn't have cut and saw or I wouldn't be... It wouldn't be what it is today without me being a DJ or, or loving music and nightlife because... Again, I wouldn't have had the cool designs on the people in Crackboard because I wouldn't have DJed there. And then in the record shop in Temple Bar, like I wouldn't have had that space if I didn't go in and buy records. Yeah. It's a kind of subculture, like the graffiti, the DJing. And it's so funny that now we're getting nothing but hotels opening up. And I'm fortunate that I'm 34. And my clubbing days are very few, few and far between. But it means everything to me. You know, I DJed in the Workman's for 10 years nearly one Saturday a month every Saturday and you have the best buzzes you know yourself on a night out in the smoking area getting ready having a few points your free points with the smaller crew you know getting crazy and then the DMCs afterwards <laughs> and you take over the world and you, you meet these people and like I've had so many friends come from music and clients and a big part of Cut and Sew is we play a lot of music it's all music yeah. there's no there's no light FM there's no I don't know a TV guy but there's you know it's no uh, there's no Joe Duffy on it's all like SoundCloud mixes and boiler room DJ sets and we do parties so it's a social space when we could host parties we did about two a year yeah we brands like Jemison Dyson Puma uh, Reebok and you know they would just give us tons of drink we get some of the cooler DJs in town would come in and everybody was invited it wasn't like exclusive the staff uh, all invited their plus ones and twos and then 
all of the customers came. We've had some crazy parties in the shops I, over. The I well, be, I well believe it, Johnny. I well believe it. Cut and sew is clearly not just a business to you; it's a way of life. I would say, from the people you recruit to the designs and the finishes of all the places that you have now, you know, the atmosphere that you you get as a customer going in, you know, it's it's really much. It's kind of a social hub. I would say, you know, it's it's a real experience. Is this intentional? Is this something that you really drive to do with all your your units? Again, because I didn't have a business plan and I, I don't come from an entrepreneur background and it's, I feel very fortunate and lucky, but I think my mum and dad instilled hard work in me. My mum has worked since she was about the same age as I started working, which is 13. I was a lounge boy when you could be a lounge boy. <laughs> and I sold papers and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the social hub thing, I think, I just feel very fortunate that when I opened up one shop, and that got busy and people trusted the people I employed to be able to go do two and then for me to not be there and people come in and trust the brand I try and hire people based on their personality not their skill set and I mean you, it's a trade you can be taught to cut hair I think good manners is instilled in you and you can have the most talent in the world but you can be an asshole and not look someone in the eyes and give them a handshake and everybody's welcome in cutting sew no matter their sexual orientation their gender their whatever it might may be their ethnicity and every age is, is welcome whether you're six or 60 and i don't know i'm just so happy that when people are coming in they choose to spend their hard-earned money with us when there's 10 times more barber shops than when we opened yeah and we need to grow and it's uh i think i'm a pretty fair boss i do become quite friendly with the staff and i'm friends with them which is detrimental at times, but um, I don't know. That's just what it is. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I do care about it. It's not franchised. Yeah. I don't. I could have cashed in and probably made a lot of money, but I'm still there five days a week cutting, and I'm in the shops, which everyone sees on Instagram every other day. So I do love it, and I'm very proud of it. And I don't have a, I don't have a partner, and I don't have kids. So I would love to have kids and uh, get married and all that kind of jazz, but. I don't know, it's my life and my babies and it's now that opening a fourth shop, I don't have time at the minute to commit to a relationship. You know, when the four or five shops are done and running smooth, that's when I might meet Mrs. Cuttons. Mrs. Cuttons. Yeah, I might have some money then, Pierce. Oh, that's, that's it. You know, you might be more attractive then. Oh, with these grey hairs and <laughs> I know the feeling I know the feeling diversification of the business is something that you have been very good at in terms of you know cut and sew building on the brand but one thing I notice is you know the level of education that you put back into the community as well it's not just about making money driving the business it's also about bringing people along on the journey but at the same time from a business point of view taking advantage of that you know and especially now when all the businesses are obviously closed you have been very very kind of proactive in terms of the coaching in terms of the education on the online workshops how did you come come about doing it so with the education i think it isn't for everyone and in actual fact i i find it quite and nobody believes me when i say this because i love yapping and i'm a chatterbox <laughs> i think i annoy more people when they come in because i like chatting to them yeah but uh, i i kind of i find it quite uncomfortable doing public speaking but to do public speaking and workshops and education, it's a, it was a tough leap for me, but naturally I seen like, how am I going to continue to find good barbers? You can't advertise like I see so many shops in Dublin 
with a sticker or a poster and do saying Barbara wanted you could get a raven lunatic coming in so it's like a process when we do workshops not also am I helping pay the rent and the bills yeah. way for me to kind of almost interview people on a, on the day that they're in for a workshop I yeah. kind of they're about see their manners and again it's based on personality I can put work into their skill set and help them and I would like to think I'm kind of like a big brother uncle figure whatever and it's a it's a good source of income now and it's a way in which I think that when I get the rock stars of clients that come in and there's loads and too many to name it's a nice opportunity for me to to be able to sell a course out based on how good the brand is yeah them to be like have a platform because they are the rock stars it isn't the shawnee show it's the cutting so show i don't know when you work in a shop it's like i think of it like a football team like i'm a kind of player manager now and i'm also like the feckin cleaner because i still sweep and clean my mind hasn't it's actually gotten worse with i'm just like i'm so ocd and i think that's a good thing to have because i would be mortified if the shop wasn't up to the standard i would expect and i think when you take your eye off that it does go and that's why I see two of the three shops I mentioned earlier on have gone like have totally shut down and one is on its way out and I'm like whoa like you know it's tiring it, it you can't work at this pace forever yeah so I have to give up some of the ownership to put a bit of you know get your managers your Amy's your Jake's and your Elaine's who are the three managers of the, the shops and I haven't found one for the new shop yet, but I'll go to that shop for a year and I'll set the tone and then hire a manager. Yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. It's tough. It's tough work and it's hard to do, but the rewards will be worth it, Pierce. Yeah, you're putting the time in now. Looking towards the future and forgetting that COVID-19 thing that's going on at the moment, what does the future look like for you personally and Cut and Sew as, as, a, as an organisation? I think it's pretty stable at the minute. Like, it, like we're fortunate. We're hemorrhaging money they thousands every month I actually only did it today I was like why did I <laughs> yeah I know that feeling February I was like you know what start of the month right it's a short month it's all good very positive worked, worked 10 hours today in the shops floating around painting and I was like let me just check here we probably won't be open for another four months for the the three shops that are open or you know that we you know officially have we don't start the lease on the new one until we're allowed to go back to work so I was like three shops four months brr, that's a lot of money yeah and the future is looking good because we are as i said very i don't know we really are about supporting local and i pound people with it and i kind of almost too much involved in the community i live in the city i know a lot of the business owners i hire mainly people that i know that when i know the guys and like the owner of a pub or a cafe their son gets a course done if i can give them an opportunity if yeah. they're I'll do it and I can see the impact it has because they put back into other independent shops and people see it and they get behind it and it's um you could easily just go to a chain of barber shops that are franchised or they're just called mixed barber shops <laughs> but people I think found the community spirit and we do all these events which are free but they cost us money to hire DJs and sound and equipment and drinks and I don't know I think people enjoy coming in because it's an appointment based shop so there is a, a, a rapport built up with them knowing like oh hi Pierce you're back in with Amy or Sean how are you doing oh I seen you there the other night yeah and the workman's you good have a good night and it's it's very very easy to talk to everyone in the shop it's yeah. their big spaces 
usually barbershops are long narrow you sit in the bench and you don't speak to anyone yeah but because it's premium based and they're located in really good parts of the city they're quite busy there's cool coffee shops beside all of the shops we used to be able to give out beers which is now illegal since covid has hit last year so that's yeah. a huge thing but i mean it was a nice touch to be able to give someone a beer on a thursday or friday evening and i don't know i think the future is bright one more shop at least whether it's on the north side or you know somewhere else um i think i'm going to keep on doing what i'm doing hire good people try and i suppose be an area manager to the shops so yeah. we keep it up maybe learn how to drive because i'll need to get to all these shops yeah. and uh yeah i don't know get the dream car meet the dream lady and yeah have a lot of money and be comfortable and just no big head no ego and be a really respectable businessman and barber in my industry i think would be a good place to see myself go yeah keep it just ticking over and just watch it grow and grow and grow maybe from from further afield looking back over your journey today johnny it's it's what would you say is the biggest achievement you would have had if you could pick out maybe one moment one key moment there's the one one the one moment which is I briefly spoke about was the cut and sew documentary. Yeah, it's a good good one. Yeah, not just the barber shop. I mean I captured when there was no there was nobody even close to us uh, in the rear view mirror. You know, we had three shops, about fifteen staff. The guys in fairness to them, they were dog wide collective. They're really after blowing up like they've they've done so many documentaries. Like I was DJing at Forbidden Fruit. Yeah. The big how they played to flying to a beat their thing was shown, the documentary was shown at the sugar and I got my mum and auntie and her friend came to it and there was so many it was it was free now. I advertised it as it was a <laughs> so but we all have to do these things. Of course so. you do. But to have the sugar club full with not only Barbara's friends, I didn't celebrate my thirtieth and to, to do that and to see it and to show a documentary with all Irish music in it yeah. filmed by an all Irish uh, team of documentary makers and editors and then to capture that nobody in Irish history has made a documentary and for my mum to see so many like 150 people there and clapping and then there was a and a afterwards with the district guys district magazine yeah it, it was I sat beside my mum you know hand around her few too many sherry's but it was a, it was it, to me everyone says that was like nobody has done that and nobody probably will do it because it's not really a done thing in barber barber is just you go get a haircut you know and you leave and i think that's what that sets you apart on you in terms of yourself maybe and and the way you approach the business it's you know it, it that's really the distinction between what you do and what everybody else does um, and it, and it's re- it's a real credit to you and i suppose I, to pick out one moment and pick that moment out where you had your family around you and your friends it really kind of plays into the person that you are it's it's all about you know friends family and you know not having the big head looking after and staying grounded i suppose is very important to you if there was any enthusiastic people out there listening to us now like you when you were maybe going back when you were a little little, little bit younger not not too much younger would there be a bit of advice that you wish you had received back then that you would give to them people now I was given advice from people that have now got failed businesses but back then they were doing well they told me don't grow don't expand don't risk it you'll dilute yourself you'll spread yourself too thin 
And I think listen to your heart, you know, and listen to your heart and your head will follow and stay true to yourself. If you try to copy what Cut and Sew did, it won't work. And it's, you know, it's a it's a facade or a fake or a fugazi. And uh, I think whatever you're about, be about it. So if you're into traditional hip hop music and you're mad social and I don't know, you don't want to have a TV or an Xbox in your shop, don't just follow what you like i yeah. love music i love chatting i love the banter in the shops and i'll never get a tv in there so people are just looking at the sport and whatever else i like the, the social interaction between people and it's um i think just anyone enthusiastically listening to this i think if they're already listening to your podcast and they're interested in the cut and sew story well then they've probably got similar interests to myself and yourself and seem very glass half full type of guys and want to spread a good mess so I think just be yeah be about you follow your heart and uh, have a good time with doing whatever it is that you're passionate about doing because if you don't love it um, it will show and it's not nice to be doing something you don't love you know so if you're lucky enough to do something you love go and follow that yeah I think that's sound advice because ultimately if you, if you don't you, you, you'll you kind of work yourself into a place where you're not happy and you know it will show if you're doing something that isn't you so staying true to yourself like you have done is very important Shawnee that's been brilliant I appreciate you coming on the Big Nose podcast this week um, it's been a phenomenal journey um, people can check you out on Cut and Sew on Instagram Facebook as you said as you've said already you're, you're across all social medias there is a brilliant documentary that you have mentioned as well I definitely recommend people check that out it is a, a real insight into something that not a lot of people will get an insight to um, yeah. and it, it's quite funny and, and the guys and the girls who are on it are, are very frank and honest and open and they don't pull any punches when they're talking so which is really refreshing I suppose in this world we live in it's great to have you on thanks Blaze. I appreciate it yeah it was a really nice chat and uh, yeah all the credit to you it was super super easy to chat to you and I hope everyone enjoys it thanks Johnny